Well, I want to ask you this question. I want us to go a little personal this morning. Have you ever been through a hard personal storm? Just a difficult time that was very personal to you and one that just simply didn't make sense. Maybe it's news you received or a delay that you incurred or maybe a hurtful experience that you had or maybe even a conversation that went south on you. But you've been through a hard time in life and maybe for you it still has scarred you and you can still feel the pain when you revisit the experience. And you live with it and you live with it and you come to that place in your life where you wonder, God, why have you allowed this to come into my life? God, why have I experienced this? Lord, why am I going through this? And then one day, God shows you why. One day, God gives you another experience or another encounter that informs your pain. Or what I like to say, redeems your pain. It's like you realize that God allowed you to go through this personal storm to get you ready for an experience he had on down the road for you. So that when you encountered that experience, you brought something to the table. You had something to give because you've been through that. You understand pain. You see, God uses pain to teach us how to comfort one another. In fact, comfort others with the comfort you have received from God. If you've ever been the recipient of comfort, you understand its value. You may not value hospital visitation until you're a patient. You may not value someone praying with you before surgery unless you're about to go into surgery. And all of a sudden, you're longing for comfort. You want somebody to come comfort you, to speak into your life, to affirm you, to encourage you, to help you go through what you're going through. And then by that experience of receiving comfort, you learn how to be a comfort, how to comfort other people. And so God's going to allow you to go through some difficulties in life. We've all been there. And listen, you're either coming out of a storm, going into a storm, or maybe you're in a storm right now. But if you're free and flying high, there is a storm for you. It's just part of life. It's the human condition. It's part of living in a fallen world that you're going to experience difficulties in life. And the question is not, God, why am I going through this? But God, what do you want to do in me and through me in the midst of this? And just know that one day God's going to redeem that pain. Now, he may not do it on earth, but he might. He may use you to bring comfort to somebody else because you know how valuable that comfort is. Do I have a witness in the house? Raise your hand if you've been there before. Raise your hand. You see, God always leads us into triumphal procession in Christ. We may have some difficulties in life and you may lose some battles, but you've heard it said, we win, say it with me, the war. That life is filled with potholes. Now, we've been living in Texas for a year and three months and there are very few potholes in Texas. But you come on to Louisiana, you come visit the Bayou State, and I want to tell you something, you're going to come to know firsthand what a pothole feels like and what it will do to your car. That's just part of life. Did you know that every relationship has potholes? That every experience in life, even if it's on vacation, there may be some potholes along the way. 
But you've got to remember, though you may face these potholes, these battles in life, there is a God who is sovereign, who's omnipotent, who's omniscient, and it is God who will lead you in triumphal procession. In fact, what you'll find is through those experiences, God is producing the aroma of Christ. You know, it is true that we're really just like a tube of toothpaste. Would you just go ahead and say that to your neighbor on Father's Day? You're a tube of toothpaste. Go ahead. No, really, it's, you can do that. Go ahead and do that. Go ahead. Look at him and say, you're a tube of toothpaste. Here's the deal. When squeezed, whatever's on the inside is going to come out. And what God does, he allows us to go through those triumphal times where he's pulling us through something and we experience his victory because he wants us to produce the aroma of Christ. Not that others will look at us and say, wow, but they'll look at us and say, wow, God. Because what we've experienced produces the aroma of Christ. Now, who's in charge of your life? Are you? Are your circumstances? Are the uncertainties of life in charge of you? Or would you say this morning, I have fully surrendered to God and he's in charge of my life. And whatever God allows me to go through, he's going to redeem it for my good and for his glory. Because God always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Now, here's the good news. You may not like where you are now currently in your walk with God. But we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ with ever-increasing glory. You see, when Moses encountered God up on the mountain, he had to veil his face because when he came down, the Shekinah of glory of God was so bright and it just permeated, so he veiled it, but not us. In the new covenant, we come before God with unveiled faces because God is transforming us. We're not where we used to be. We're not who we used to be. God is working on us. God is conforming us. And I know you've read it. That in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Have you read that? We'll go to the next verse because it says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that's where we get the word metamorphosis. The Greek is metamorphe. It means transformation. You were this, but God is developing you into something different, something better. Here's what I've learned about the potholes of life. Come in a little bit closer. God allows you to experience those difficulties in life so that whatever is in you and on you that is not Jesus, he takes out his redemptive hammer and chisel and he chips it away. In my previous church, I had a, just an amazing woodworker. And I wanted to preach on this concept of transformation and being Christ-like. So I set up this table on the platform. I had it covered up, and then he brought all of his utensils. I had never seen anything like it. He brought this big box and had all these different kits, and he would open a kit, and it had different kinds of knives. Another kit would have little scalpels, another kit, all kind of chisels. And then he brought this big block of wood and just placed it on the table and it looked so rough. 
And then he pulled out of a box covered in this very delicate velvet. And he put it on the table and he uncovered it. And it was the finest mallard duck you've ever seen. You would have thought it was real. And here's what he said. I just simply take this chunk of wood and I carve off everything that is not duck. And that's how God works in our lives. God knows you're a chunk of wood. He created you. He made you. As Rick Warren says, you're made by God and for God. But God has an image in mind, and what He is perfecting you to become is in the image of Christ. What God wants to do in your life, even through the potholes and the delays and the seasons of uncertainty, God wants to produce in you Christ. So, how's it going? Have you been under the hammer and chisel lately? Have you been through a painful experience lately? God's going to use it because God is passionate about transformation. Here's the good news. We have this treasure, this love of God, the fact that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, that we are His children, we are chosen, we are loved by God, we are set apart for His glory, and God has taken all of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and our transformation, and He has placed it in this old clay jar. Can you imagine God putting His glory His grace, His goodness, His Holy Spirit, this treasured possession that God would put that in this old clay jar? Well, you've heard it before. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Your body is the temple. You are the jar clay. You are the jar of clay that God has deposited His Spirit in. You are treasured by God. And by the way, should not affect how we treat others. Then when we become judgmental, even in the family of God, we can be judgmental and point to others and judge them and criticize them and critique them. When we've got to remember that the same treasure God has put in us this jar of clay, God has put the same treasure in them. If only we could value them the way God does. Do you think that would change the way we do life? What do you think? When you wake up in the morning and you go to work or you're experiencing vacation and you see people and you wonder why they are the way they are, I wonder if somehow we could begin to visualize that they're simply a jar of clay that God has deposited his treasure into. That may teach us how to love people the way God does. Well, let's shift gears. Maybe we ought to get on the launching pad. Maybe we ought to blast off and go into orbit. We get so fixated on that which we can see. Let's talk about the unseen world. Fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, say it with me, is eternal. Did you read this week where the life expectancy has risen to 78.1 years? Have you seen that? In other words, we're going to live longer. 
We're figuring this thing out, how to stay young longer, how to stay healthy longer, how to take care of this jar of clay longer. And we get so fixated on what is seen. Now, let's say that you live to be 78.1 years. And maybe you'd say, whoa, I've already passed that. What about me? Well, let's say you live to be 110. Now, go ahead and calculate how many years you have left. 110. See, I'm 39 61, seven, I have 71 years left. Everybody with me? How many years do you have left? And calculate that. Don't say it too loud because somebody may get jealous. <laughs> now, I want you to take that amount that you just calculated. And I want you to just place it right here for a moment. Now, I want you to measure with me how long eternity will be. In fact, old James, you know what he says about life? That life is like a vapor that appears and then is gone. Now, some use aerosol hairspray. Some use the old-fashioned pump. Remember the pump? Gone, gone, gone. That whatever amount of years you have left on this earth, it is like gone compared to eternity. So instead of living for this life that's in this little shell on this speck of dust called earth, instead of focusing your whole life on the here and now and what is seen and what is temporary, what if you oriented your life to that which is unseen and that which is eternal? Maybe that's how God wants us to live this life. And don't neglect the life you have because you still need to eat right and exercise and rest and take care of your family and meet needs God brings to your forefront. Because one day we'll all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You've seen it, haven't you, in the Agora and Corinth? The Bema seat. I've been there. Have you? You see, because the reality is each one of us will stand before God. I want you to say this statement with me. Everyone will spend forever somewhere. Say that with me. Everyone will spend forever somewhere. Now let's do that one more time. Say it with me. Everyone will spend forever somewhere. And what that means is that everyone will stand before God and go somewhere. Those of us who have confessed Jesus as Lord of our life, when we stand before God, it is not to determine whether we go to heaven or hell. That's been determined by our profession of our faith in Christ while we were on earth, living out our years. But those who reject God's offer of salvation, those who reject Jesus as a way, the truth, and the life, they will still stand before God. In fact, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it will be too late. They'll stand before God. And instead of going to the judgment seat of Christ where believers will go, unbelievers go to what's called the white throne judgment. And it's not to determine whether they go to heaven or hell. That was determined by their life on earth. And what they did with Christ. 
But when they stand before the white throne judgment, it's to receive degrees of punishment in hell. The believers, those of us who know the Lord Jesus, will stand before the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. Not to determine heaven or hell, but to determine our reward. You see, God's keeping count of our life. And you can take your pile of good works, all the wonderful things you've done during your time on earth. And you can pile all of those good works in this mega pile in heaven and say, God, look what I've done for you. And then God's going to judge that. God's going to test that by his fire. And his fire contains judging motivation. Why'd you do what you did? Was it with pure motives or to be seen of men? And that big pile of good works will be reduced to that which was pure. So that mountain may become a little anthill. But here's the good news. God's going to reward you for what you've done. You've already been adopted into his family. Your heaven is secure. Jesus has already prepared a place for you by his death, burial, and resurrection. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. God does not use a pencil or a dry erase marker or an eraser mate. God uses the indelible ink of his shed blood through the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you're in Christ, you're in Christ for all eternity. But just don't lose sight that one day we'll give an account for our lives. Now for the wonderful news. Are you ready for this? If anyone is in Christ, what's the news? He's a new creation. It doesn't matter how old you were when you came to Christ, you became a new creation. You know what that looks like for most men on Father's Day? Lewis, I've got to be honest. When I thought of a new creation, the first thing I thought of was a fine bike. Custom made. One of a kind. Now, ladies, if it were Mother's Day, I'd go a different direction. But you've got to just minister to us for just a moment. We needed this moment. Now, men, this is as close as you're going to get. So go ahead and take it all in. If anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You see, God has taken your sin and placed it as far as the east is from the west. You get on a plane and you travel east and you'll go east forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You go west, you'll go west forever and ever and ever and ever. But if you go north, eventually you'll be going south. And then north, then south. Well, wait, well, let's go south. Well, if you go south, eventually you're going to be going north again. So it's measurable. But when God takes your sin, he places it as far as the east is from the west. So when God says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, it's because God made a way for that reality. We are therefore Christ's what? Ambassadors. If you've received the grace of God, been filled with the Spirit of God, your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, you've been adopted into His family, 
You are now an ambassador for Christ. You used to wear the Satan jersey. You used to work for the devil and his crowd. No longer. You've been drafted to a new team. From this day forward, you will wear a Jesus jersey. You have a new team. You have a new head coach. You wear a new jersey because you represent the Lord Jesus Christ in private and in public, in day and in night, on a plane, in a submarine, on a train, even on a four-wheeler. You are an ambassador for Christ. Now, what are you going to do with the jersey you've been given? Don't you ever let the devil try to talk you out of who you are in Jesus. But I'm divorced. My mother had to deal with that when I was seven. She had to deal with that because back in that day, divorce was a mega stigma. So she had to come to grips with her value before God, which, by the way, was not attached to her marital status. And I had to come to grips with my value before God because when I surrendered to preach at age 16 and started pastoring after I graduated from high school and I would go to the Southern Baptist Convention or to a pastor's conference, the pastors would ask me, well, how many of y'all running over there at your church? Now, I didn't know if they meant like running off or like running in Sunday school or running in worship because it depended So I had to come to grips with my value was not based on the size church that I pastored, just like my mom had to come to grips with the fact that her value was not based on her marital status. See, your value is based on your love relationship with God. And here's what's really neat. You'll never become more valuable than you are in Christ. My mamaw one of the godliest women I know. Her doctor told her two weeks ago, you can no longer walk without assistance. She was a bright, dynamic, strong businesswoman. Owned her own business. Played the organ at the church. And now being led in 24-hour care. No longer productive, but just as valuable. So where's your value placed? Remember, you're Christ's ambassador. If you looked in the language of the New Testament, in 15 Greek words, you'll see the entire, entire Bible summarized in 15 Greek words. And I want us to read it together. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Now do that again with passion. You ready? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, God became like us so that we could become like him. Don't ever get over that. And just a little side note, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. It's just simply this, that as a believer, you've got to guard your life and your walk with God. And did you know it's easier to pull a Christian down than a non-Christian up? 
And we're called to be ambassadors and reach the world for Christ, but you better guard your life or you'll wind up doing what they're doing. So guard your life. And especially when it is in the area of intimacy, spiritual intimacy, physical intimacy, within the confines of marriage, be sure that you don't get yoked up with an unbeliever because you wear different jerseys. So let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And the word in one little word is what? The word purity. That God wants us to live a lifestyle of moral purity. Now let's say that you've blown it. You say, well, I'm not pure. Boy, if you would just know what I was thinking yesterday, I've already been disqualified. Well, that's why the grace of God covers your sin. But you don't let the grace of God be a license to sin. But rather embrace the grace of God and his forgiveness and make a commitment to respond to what Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery. What did he say? Go and sin no more. Embrace a lifestyle of purity. Because without purity, there's no power. And though Jesus was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become what? Rich. Jesus was willing to become poor so that we could become rich in Christ. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also what? Reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I love it when the touchdown is made and the player points up to God as affirming God. God, thank you for giving me this ability. God, thank you for giving me favor. Thank you for protecting me in this one play so that I can make a touchdown. God, to you be the glory. And if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. There are just some things I can't pick up. And I've got to acknowledge before God, God, I just can't do this without you. And God says, that's exactly where I want you to live. As you know, I experienced great revelation. For God took me up to the third heaven. And I received special revelation. And it would have been so easy because it's my natural tendency to become prideful and arrogant that I lean toward that. It's all about me and look what I've accomplished. Look what God showed me. But to keep me from being conceited, God gave me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. And there's been many speculations on that. Some say, well, it's an actual thorn. In the flesh, someone said, no, it's a, it's a speech impediment. No, it's, it's an eye injury. Some would say, well, no, you know, Paul was a Pharisee, and to be a Pharisee, he would have been married, and when he came to Christ, his wife didn't want to go be a follower of the way. So maybe it's the fact that he's now single again. There have been many speculations on that form. But here's what I've come to discover. Everybody has a thorn. And the more you know God, 
the more in touch you'll be with that thorn. Because just when you're living that life, thinking you're bringing glory to God, living for God, and you get to that place where you think it's all you and what you're accomplishing for God, God will remind you of the thorn that it's not about you, it's all about Him, and you wouldn't be where you were without Him. So let's just get to the place where we thank God for the thorn. Because here's a lesson we learn. That His grace is sufficient for us. For His power is made perfect, complete, abundant in what? Our weaknesses. You see, our weaknesses simply show off the power of God. For when I am weak, then I am what? Say it with me. Strong. So this morning, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. This week, Pastor David and I went to Indianapolis, Indiana, to the Southern Baptist Convention. And we just uh, are really big on maximizing our time and making the most of every opportunity and really uh, trying to allocate our time wisely. And so we left late Monday night so we could have a full office day here and meetings. Flew out late that night, checked in our hotel, Eastern Time, about 1 a.m., Got up the next morning extremely early to be at the Southern Baptist Convention all day. And uh, we did the same thing Wednesday. Thursday morning, we get up about 3.30 our time here to be at the airport so that we could be in Houston before 8 a.m. So we've been operating on probably three or four hours of sleep. Got on the plane and they placed us where I sat next to the window and this guy between us and then Pastor David. So I crawled across the guy and introduced myself, and he let me know his name was Chris. And he just didn't have a lot to say. But he ordered four of those little Jack Daniel bottles. And I just laid my head back to rest for a few minutes, and then I got up and I had a lot of reading I needed to do, and I'm reading through the Bible, and so I had my computer open and was reading through the Bible. I'm in numbers right now. And Chris just said, hey, yeah, man, are you a preacher or something? I said, well, Chris, why would you say that? He said, well, you keep reading that computer and it keeps saying Bible stuff on there. Are you reading the Bible? I said, well, actually, I'm reading through the Bible this year. And it just so happens that you're sitting between two preachers. So I began to just correspond with him and ask him what he did. And he told me he travels all over the country 194 days a year to big bakeries. And he works on their ovens, the big ovens. He said like 140 feet by something like the big ones. And that's all he does for this company. And I said, well, where are you headed? He said, well, I'm flying to Houston so I can fly to Austin to go to the bike rally. I said, oh, you're a biker? He said, I make custom bikes. I said, cool. You got a picture of one? He said, I do. He pulled out his cell phone, opened it up, showed me his baby. Now, when a guy calls his bike her, he's connected. <laughs> Let's take a look at her. That means they're connected. So I took a look at her, and she was chromed out. I mean, he put a lot of time into this bike. 
And I said, well, Chris, I'd like to know where you're going after that. And he told me where. I said, no, I mean like way after that. Like, where are you going when you die? Somewhere. Hey, man, nobody's perfect. I said, you got that right. He said, nobody is perfect. I said, well, I agree with you. So where are you going? I hope I go to heaven. I said, well, do you know you're going? He said, I hope so. I said, but you can know so. I said, I know so. It has nothing to do with the fact I'm reading the Bible on a computer or that I'm a preacher. So I said, well, Chris, in your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven? He said, well, I don't know. I said, well, would you allow me to share with you how the Bible answers that question? And then I proceeded to share faith with him, and he, he interrupted several times. Uh, ma'am, I need one more. <laughs> and I was right in the middle of sharing the gospel with Chris, and just out of the blue, after he poured that drink and took a big swig, he, he leaned over to Pastor David and said, Hey, who are you talking to? And Pastor David, who has very wide shoulders in an airplane, said, well, actually, while Stephen's talking to you about God, I'm talking to God about you. (laughs) Started making our initial descent into Houston. Got near the end of the presentation and just said, Chris, understand what we've shared. Would you like to receive God's forgiveness by trusting in Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? And he said, can I really do that? I said, you can really do that. He said, I just don't know if I'm ready. I said, well, when will you be ready? He said, well, I just don't know that I'm ready to do that right now. I reached down in my computer bag and pulled out a gospel track that I always carry with me in my car, in my computer bag. I said, well, Chris, what I've shared with you is explaining this brochure. Would you be willing to read this on your own time, just whenever you're ready? And I want you to see his face. I happen to have my Blackberry. It has a camera on it. I said, Chris, can I take your picture? Because I and many people are going to be praying for you that you'll accept Jesus as your Savior. It was really cool. We get off the plane, and we're tracking to go to our uh, uh, baggage claim. And um, he's going to catch his connecting flight, and we kind of lost sight of him, but he caught up with us. In fact, he and Pastor David kind of hooked up right there, and we're talking a little bit, so I backed up and took a picture. That's why it's so blurry, because we were tracking. And we just let him know, we're going to be praying for you. Man, it would break our hearts to get to heaven and you not be there. And you know what I've come to realize? That's why we're alive. To take as many people to heaven as we can. Would you pray with me? Father, we humble ourselves before you. Lord, we acknowledge our dependency upon you. We acknowledge that we're nothing without you. And Lord, we just simply need you. Thank you for changing us, for transforming us for your glory. And thank you for being the ultimate father 
the one who would never leave us nor forsake us, the one who would never let us down, the one who gave his best, the Lord Jesus, to down the cross for our sins, to purchase our salvation. Thank you for being that kind of father. And the love we received, I pray, will be the love we give. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.